Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you today, and Lord, we ask that you would take this time and give us of your grace that we may obtain mercy to help in the time of need. Lord, we ask that you would help us to worship you today, that you would remind us that we sing these songs not to ourselves, not to the neighbors, but to you. And Lord, that our worship would be acceptable in your sight. Of course, the greatest form of worship that we can engage in is not on Sunday morning. It's living for you through this coming week. And Lord, we just ask that you would give us that grace that we need to serve you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please remain standing for the next song. Let's take our Bibles and turn to the book of Revelation chapter 3. And uh, as most of our regular people know, Thursday night begins our summer revival meetings with Brother Sam Davison. And uh, if you uh, have heard him preach, you know you're in for a treat. If you've never heard him preach, you, you just need uh, to be here, need to be a part of this. It is going to be just a, a very, very special time. And so looking forward to that. And uh, as I was... Just thinking, what what do I preach on this Sunday morning, the week before our revival meeting? And and uh, I just thought about, let's just take a little time to review. Uh, as you came in on the glass doors out there, there's a reference, Revelation 3.8. And, and just part of one of these verses, Behold, I have set before thee an open door. And I hope that reminds you of this passage right here. These Revelation chapters 2 and 3 are Jesus' letters to His churches. Now, some people have tried to make these church ages and, and read things in here. The only problem I have is there's as many different ages as there are people to dream them up, uh, which simply means there's no consistent biblical understanding. One when we have something that Jesus means for us to understand the Bible, in the Bible, it comes out very clear. Often uh, people say, well, that's your interpretation. Okay, let me give you a verse to interpret. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Would you interpret that, please? Uh, if you're going to leave anybody out of all, you're changing the definition. If you're going to try to explain away sin and, and tell us, as Billy Graham did, that some people don't need to be saved, then we're undermining the entire foundation of the Bible. You see, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The number one problem with mankind is man is always trying to be God. Whether it's in your car on the Grand Central Parkway, uh, I don't know how else to explain it. I'm God. I get to go first. To get out of my way. Step on the brakes. Let me go. How many of you have experienced that? I mean, Andrew and I were driving home Wednesday night. I think I got cut off more times on the trip home Wednesday night uh, than most of my adult life to this point. I mean, it was unbelievable 
uh, on, on the, just driving home from Riverhead Wednesday evening. And, uh, but the essence of that, you know what happens when man tries to be God? Selfishness. Isn't that true? God is the only being in the universe that can say, me first and everyone else benefits. Amen? You know, people say, well, all all I want is a good life. Yeah, you and everyone else. But I've never met anyone seeking that good life that's ever found it. But if you'll surrender and find God's life, then you will have the best life that you can possibly enjoy. Could we say amen to that? You see, doing things God's way does not benefit God. But it sure does benefit you and I. That's what the Bible means. If you... By this ye know that ye love the children of God, when ye love God and keep His commandments. By me being obedient to the Bible, I have to be nicer to the people around me. What a shame. And they want to take down the Ten Commandments, and they want to get rid of all these things, and every mention of God. Uh, could I ask you a question? How's that working out? Not very well, my friend. You see, Jesus, as John was on the Isle of Patmos, appeared to him and gave him this book we call the book of Revelation. Uh, People like to call it the apocalypse. Because everything's going to blow up. Well, yeah, everything is going to blow up. But when it's all blowed up, God's going to make a new heaven and a new earth. And there'll be no more sorrow, no more weeping, no more night. That sounds like a pretty good place now, doesn't it? But let's get back to our text. It was... Way, way, way back, 1990, 91, as my then wife and I were contemplating moving to Astoria and starting this church, one of the questions was, what are you going to call it? Uh, And, well, if it's going to be a church, it ought to have the name church in there, amen? Uh, and, And if it's... If we're going to identify ourselves historically... Uh, be honest about who we are, we should use the name Baptist. Because historically, the word Baptist doesn't mean what most people think it means today. Historically, it means people who used only the Bible. That is the historical definition of the word Baptist. They used to call them Anabaptist in the Middle Ages because they refused to accept the innovation of infant baptism. And so, and they called them rebaptizers. And we do not rebaptize anybody. 
But if you didn't do it right the first time, shouldn't you take the effort to do it right before you meet God? It's the answer of a clear conscience. We, we just want to do things right. But there's many different kinds of Baptist. Uh, I have personally suffered greatly because of President Bill Clinton. He's a Baptist and he plays the saxophone. I'm a Baptist and I play the saxophone. And I don't know how many good preachers. Oh, can you play like Bill Clinton? Anytime I heard that, even if I was supposed to play a special, I'd just take the horn apart, put it in the case. Because I don't want to be identified with that. I even had somebody, what, what, if, what if he walked in your church, you wouldn't let him be a member? You've got to be kidding me. We wouldn't let anybody be a member or stay a member of this church that doesn't want to follow the Bible. Oh, now we've got Bible Baptist Church. That's a good start. But then comes the first part, open door. I had somebody say, yeah, I know what that means. Your doors, you're open to anybody. Well, yeah, that's true. Uh, but if you're going to stay here, we want you to get the rest of the name. Bible Baptist Church. Amen? But we didn't get the name Open Door because we have doors to open. We were praying that God would give us an open door. Preacher after preacher, we raise support, much like our foreign missionaries do, to come here. And preacher after preacher said, now what are you going to do that's different you know, I, I'm one preacher in particular, my wife and I were just talking about him last week, or just remembering. He said, I've supported a hundred people and nothing's there today. What are you going to do? I'm going, you know, I don't know how to answer that question. I, I know what we're going to do. We're going to do what this book tells us. And he said, well, I guess that's good enough for me. And he took us on for support and helped us. Amen. I think about 9-11 and one of the things that as I traveled around and was in different means, people said, what's changed since 9-11? And at first, my, my answer was, well, uh, really nothing. Our, our attendance didn't change. Uh, what we're doing didn't, no, nothing really changed. All of that changing, that happened over at St. Pat's uh, in Manhattan and, and different places and and then it dawned on me, we were already doing the right things before the crisis. We didn't have to change because of a catastrophe, because of a terror attack. We, we could just keep doing the same things. And, you know, that's really what this coming week is all about. We want to see Brother Franz ordained. Pray for him. He's still got to come up with his doctrinal statement for the ordination. Amen. And uh, pray for Andrew. And, and we, we want to see these men ordained into the gospel ministry. Amen. You know why? Because that's what the Apostle Paul did with Timothy. You see, we're just trying to follow the biblical pattern. And Jesus wrote a letter. And this is where we got the name Open Door. And this is 
what I want to preach about this morning. Let's first just read the letter and start in verse 7 of Revelation chapter 3. And it says, And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, that was the city in Turkey, by the way, These things saith he that is holy, he that is true, he that hath the key of David, he that openeth, and no man shutteth, and shutteth, and no man openeth. I know thy works. Behold, I have set before thee an open door, and no man can shut it. For thou hast a little strength, and hast kept my word, and hast not denied my name. Behold, I will make them of the synagogue of Satan, which say they are Jews and are not, but do lie. Behold, I will make them to come and worship before thy feet, and to know that I have loved thee. Because thou hast kept the word of my patience, I also will keep thee from the hour, excuse me, from the hour of temptation which shall come upon all the world to try them that dwell upon the earth. Behold, I come quickly. Hold that fast which thou hast, that no man take thy crown. Him that overcometh will I make a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go no more out, and I will write upon him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, which is New Jerusalem, which cometh down out of heaven from my God, and I will write upon him my New name. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. I, I believe that these were seven literal letters written by Jesus Christ, dictated by Jesus, put down on paper by John, and that these letters were sent to these seven literal churches, cities in what is now modern day Turkey. If you want to get a picture or a type or something, you go through these churches and you'll find these characteristics in churches that are alive today and have been ever since the day of Jesus Christ. There are churches that have left their first love. That was the first church. There are dead churches. There are churches where Jezebel teaches Sunday school. That's why we don't have female Sunday school teachers. Amen? No. Uh, Just a little joke there. And the uh, point that we're trying to make here is these characteristics are lukewarm churches, are there not? There are churches that are so busy, as my mother used to tell me, you can, you can be so heavenly minded, you're no earthly good. Well, you can be so worldly minded, you're no heavenly good either. That's the Laodicean church. It's there. They are all over the place. So as we look at this letter to this church in Philadelphia, one of the only two out of seven churches that Jesus did not have any condemnation for, he tells them about himself. Jesus identifies different aspects of his greatness and of his lordship to each church. And to the church here at Philadelphia, he says... He first introduces himself as he that is holy. Now, if there is a word 
that is misused and unused properly in the English language today, holy would be that word. Uh, Most of the time, if anybody's uh, using the word holy today, uh, it is part of an expletive or a curse. Jesus said, I am he that is holy. Now, that word holy comes from the same base as the word sanctified, separated, Jesus is different. Don't use his name as a curse word. Can we say amen to that? Be careful. He is holy. If you want to know what holiness is, look at who Jesus is. Jesus never once sinned. Stop and think about that. How many of us would say, I have sinned since last Sunday morning? My hand goes up first because I'm going to show you how to be honest in church. And if you can't be honest here, finish the sentence. You won't be honest anywhere. We, We couldn't even go a whole week without sinning. How many of you have ever been really frustrated and did something mean because you just couldn't stand putting up with that person anymore, right? Look at how many times Jesus said, How long shall I suffer you? And never once did he sin. That's what being holy is. We go back to that verse, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Nobody's as good as God is. So everybody said, well, nobody's perfect. Okay, if you want an excuse, take it. But that's not what Jesus is talking. He is stating fact here. We have all sinned. We do not measure up to the standard of His righteousness. He has the right to tell us the difference between right and wrong. We, we live in a world where people say, well, how many of you know the legal definition of the word obscenity? The word, it comes from the word obscene, which means dirty, vile, uh, that which brings wrong thoughts. The, here is the legal definition of the word obscenity. It is an act or thing that society judges to be below their moral standard. Did you get that? Society has the right to tell you the difference between right and wrong. Now, I'm against cigarette smoking as much as a person can be. My dad died a young man, 48 years old, because of cigarettes. Uh, I'm against him. But it's amazing. How many of you remember just, what was that, 10 years ago? The big tobacco settlements and all of these billions of dollars, and we're going to do this. But did you know that secondhand marijuana smoke has no ill effects? 
That's what the same people were telling us. You know something? I'm against smoking, but I'm not for what, what they did with all of those huge settlements and the money. Because all that money just got wasted, now didn't it? Uh, the lawyers got it. The politicians got it. I don't know anybody that can prove one good thing that happened with all that money. And now, these same people are trying to tell us that marijuana smoke is fine. I, I'll tell you what, my mama had a name for that. She wasn't right about everything, but she's right about this. We call them liars. We, we just, give, give me a, a break. Jesus is holy. Just because society says it's okay doesn't make it okay. We, we got a governor who says that anyone who disagrees with the right to murder an unborn baby has no place in politics in this state. Uh, excuse me, politics is a right of every citizen. Is it not? If you're a citizen of this country, you should vote. You see, everybody wants to define what they believe is holy so that they don't have to answer for their sin. Jesus is the Holy One. He's the standard. If you want to understand what holiness is, Look at Jesus. You know what it says? But the next thing is, he says, I am he that is holy. He that is true. Oh. What? True. You know what Pilate said? Jesus was standing before him, and Jesus said, I am here to bear witness of the truth. They that are of the truth are going to hear me. And how many remember what Pilate said? What is truth? Oh, truth is trodden in the streets. Truth is meaningless today. Uh, who, Who can define truth? When you have the right lawyers to change all the meanings of the words. And I'm not necessarily against all lawyers. But I'm against anything that's untrue. Jesus is. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. You see... One of the reasons why we want to identify with Jesus is because he is so different than everything else we can know and understand in this world. He is the holy. He says, I am he that is holy, he that is true. And then here comes an interesting one that nobody wants to really tackle. He that hath the key of David... He that openeth and no man shutteth, and shutteth and no man openeth. Now, David is the king. 
He is the King of Israel, the, the Messiah that was promised to come to the Jewish people. And one of the neat things about meeting in a former synagogue, as we look at the windows, you see the Ten Commandments and the menorah and the stars of David. And, and Jesus was a Jewish man. He was a direct descendant of King David. He says, I hold the key. I have the authority of the king. He says, I will one day rule and reign from this city. He says, I have the power to open the door and no one can close it. I have the power to close the door. You know, people have made a big deal over uh, Jesus made a statement. Matthew chapter 16 to Peter, he says, I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And, And there's been some just mind-boggling claims based on that passage. Can I ask you what keys do? They open or lock doors, don't they? Who preached the first gospel message to the Jewish people on the day of Pentecost? Peter, key number one. Jesus said, I give unto thee the key, so we know there had to be a second key. Go to Acts chapter 10, and who preached the first gospel message to the Gentiles? Oh, Peter did. By the way, if you're not Jewish, you're Gentile. Say, ah, I'm neither. Well, no, that's not true. The Bible defines, divides the entire world in the New Testament by Jew and Gentile. Or Jew and Greek. That doesn't mean you're necessarily of a Greek heritage in the Bible. It just meant you were part of the non-Jewish or the Roman world. And Peter opened those doors. And since that day, the gospel has gone forth. And no man's been able to stop it. Can we say amen to that? And one of these days, Jesus it will set up his kingdom. And so, as we look at the author here, as he identifies himself to this church, he that is holy, he that is true, and he that has the authority of this world in his hands. I mean, we, if you follow the news, I, 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 I like to know what's going on in my world. And I'll tell you, it's all bad. And you you get to start. Wow, what is going to happen here? And and, and you know they're they're enriching uranium in uh, in Iran again, and they're doing this and doing that. And I mean, well, could we calm down just a minute? Who's got the key of David? I tell you, couldn't be in better hands. Amen. Can I trust Jesus with the future? Uh, I think it'd be a whole lot better for your ulcers and uh, uh, your emotional and and, uh, nervous well-being to trust the Lord with all of those things and trying to trust yourself. Amen? And he's writing to this church. He says, I know thy works. Jesus says that to each of the church. And he says, behold, I have set before thee an open door and no man can shut it. That was our prayer from day one for this church. That Jesus would open the door. And I always have to say, he gave us three out front. Amen? 
Jesus said, I have set before thee an open door. Now, what are you supposed to do if there's an open door set before? How did each of you get in the building? You walk through the door. You say, but that's too simple. No, it's not too simple for the Lord. The greatest things in the Bible are the most simple, are they not? How does a person get saved? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Why do most people who use the name of the Lord aren't saved? Why is that true? Because they're too busy believing in Jesus and... If you're going to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you've got to take out the and. It's just Jesus. No church died for you on the cross. No group of men raised again from the dead. Only Jesus. By the way, He is holy. He is true. He has the keys of David. And he said, I've set before this church an open door, and no man can shut it. Now, the next part's not extremely flattering. It says, for thou hast a little strength. I don't know how many times over the years I have found great comfort in that phrase. You know, when I was a little boy growing up, one of the things that I just enjoyed was being around my father because he was uh, he was not a very tall man he was about a half inch shorter than I am but he was strong and it was just comforting to be around somebody like that later on my little brother used to say I like being around you Because he would get people mad at him, and then he would hide behind his older brother, and for some reason they wouldn't be mad anymore. They would just go on and leave him alone. You know, we, we have all of these people out here trying to fight the world, and they're failing. My job isn't to fight the world. The church's responsibility isn't to fight the world. The church's responsibility is to follow Jesus. If He's in front, then He takes care of the battles. Don't pick on me. Pick on Jesus. And by the way, when people do try to pick on me, I hope and I pray it's because I've been following Jesus, not because I've been obnoxious on my own accord. Amen? You see, Jesus said, For thou hast a little strength. And then he says, You've done two things here. He says, And has kept my word, and has not denied my name. What does it mean to keep Jesus' word? Well, part of it we're doing right now as we sit here. Because Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So, in keeping his word, we meet as his church 
following the biblical pattern, we're, we're doing what he says. Uh, this week as we ordain Andrew and Franz, we're seeing churches started and churches saved in different areas around us. Uh, didn't Jesus say, go ye into all the world? We're keeping his word. Every Sunday we take a missions offering. You put it in with your regular offering. You know what we're doing? Jesus said, go ye into all the world. And we do that through our missionary work. Uh, Before the turn of the last century, the boast of the English empire was, the sun never sets upon the English flag. That was true. But it wasn't always good. But we can say the sun never sets on the ministry of the Open Door Bible Baptist Church because we've got missionaries all over this world doing God's work. In every time, not, well, maybe not every time zone, but really close to it. Isn't that a wonderful thing? And we don't have to have great strength to do it. He says, thou hast kept my word. We're just trying to do what Jesus said and has not denied my name. How do we deny Jesus' name? Well, the easiest way is to shake hands with someone who does. We have this thing called the ecumenical movement. We're going to bring all the churches together so Jesus' church can be one. Well, wait a minute. If it doesn't follow him, is it his church? If he didn't start it, is it his church? If it was his church and it stopped following the book, is it still his church? The answer is no, no, and no. Jesus was very careful. He told that Ephesian church, if you don't go back and do the first things, if you don't get your first love back, I'm going to blow out your candle. That doesn't mean the building fell down. History tells us it was still standing in 600 A.D. And even later, as the, uh, a Muslim invasion came in and took over that area of the world, that's what actually snuffed out the church that was there at Ephesus. But they had lost their candle a long time before that happened. Because they stopped keeping his word. And they denied his name. Amen? And and let's just take a few minutes here and finish this. In verse 9, it says, Behold, I will make them of the synagogue of Satan, which say they are Jews and are not, but do lie. Behold, I will make them come and worship before thy feet, and to know that I have loved thee. I, I don't know how many times, and I'm not trying to keep track anyway, that our church and I have been criticized by others for not being part of mainstream Christianity. I want to challenge you, the true followers of Jesus have never been part of the mainstream of anything at any time.
If we're going to follow Jesus, we've got to follow Jesus. And if we do follow Jesus, the world is not going to like us any more than you would like someone in the middle of a nice, long, dark night, sleeping in comfort to take one of those uh, super bright uh, halogen flashlights and go, doing, hey, <laughs> I just wanted to wake you up. Has anybody ever had that happen? I mean, that is jarring. But when you shine the light of the gospel upon the misdeeds of others, especially the religious crowd. You know, I had a guy one, just a couple of weeks ago call me up and say, well, don't you believe in, in, in the church of Jesus? I said, I absolutely do believe in the church of Jesus, but you're not part of it. How can you say that? I said, well, you just told me that you work with all the churches of different groups and the Lutherans and the Pentecostals. And, oh, yes, we believe in the church. I said, those if Martin Luther started it, Jesus didn't. It's just that simple. The Roman Catholic Church never has been, never will be part of Jesus' church. Because it always belonged to somebody else. The true founder was Emperor Constantine and his dear mother Helen, who had all of the satanic visions to know where all the holy sites are today. We don't need holy sites. We don't need tradition. You know what we need? What Jesus gave us. And Jesus says that one of these days... All those false religions are going to bow down and admit that they weren't the true church. So, just keep your faith in the right thing and stop worrying about what all the other religions are saying and let them do what they're going to do. But we better keep His word and not deny His name. Amen? And then He gives a promise. Because thou hast kept the word of my patience, I also will keep thee from the hour of temptation which shall come upon all the world to try them that dwell upon the earth. Behold, I come quickly. Jesus is coming. We, we call it the pre-tribulation, the pre-millennial rapture of the church where the believers in Christ are going to be caught up with Him. He's going to remove all godly influence from this world. Uh, people get caught up in the, who are the 144,000 witnesses and the two witnesses the Bible talks about in Jerusalem. Those are the givers of the gospel during the tribulation period because the church won't be here. You see, Jesus gives a warning here. We're almost done. He says, that which thou hast, hold fast that which thou hast, that no man take thy crown. The Bible tells us that we don't need anything new. We don't need innovation. We don't need a new program. 
we don't need something to aid the church because the church has failed. We've got to hold fast that which we have. That's why we still use this old King James Bible. That's why we do not use any of the newfangled ones. You know why? This is what I have. This is what I'm holding on to. Uh, Now, if I spoke another language, I would want a Bible that comes from the same manuscripts this one comes from. But since I speak English, I'm going to hold on to my old King James. I'm not going to sacrifice it for a new one or the... uh, uh, I don't even know what it stands for. The ESV seems to be the version du jour that everybody claims is true scholar and uh, and all of this. And there may be some scholarship involved in that thing. I'm not doubting that, but they're using the wrong basis. And so a very good translation, a very poor manuscript still gives you a rotten Bible. Hold fast that which thou hast. We're not getting rid of Sunday night services. Those were the first church services. Because in the Jewish economy, Sunday was a work day. And so they had to work on Sunday morning or their families wouldn't eat. Sabbath, Saturday was the day of rest. We don't want to exchange church for a Broadway show. Somebody was... Talking to me about that the other day. He says, aren't you one of those seeker-friendly churches and that? And I said, no. I said, you can get away with that in Kansas because Broadway's a thousand miles, 1,500 miles away. But the Broadway is only like, what, eight stops on the end line? Nine stops, something like that? You can't imitate the world that close to the world and not have people notice that you're doing a really rotten job. And by the way, we're not here to imitate the world. We're here to keep His Word and not deny His name. Because Jesus opened the door and He wants us to keep walking through it. And so I want to challenge you that we we need to be faithful. Passing out tracts. Inviting people to church. We need to be faithful in our attendance. Praise the Lord for each one that is here today. We need to understand that there are some promises here. They may sound a little strange. He says, I'm going to make you, let's... uh, um, It says, Him that overcometh, verse 12, I'll make a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go no more out. And I will write upon him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, which is New Jerusalem, which cometh down out of heaven from my God. And I will write upon him my new name. And and that may sound a little confusing, but let me ask you, what do pillars do? They do best when they don't move. Isn't that correct? I mean, a pillar, uh, actually, you can't see them. We covered them up several years ago when we renovated the auditorium. But there are uh, six pillars built into each wall. And there's a big beam that runs through the ceiling. And that's what holds the building together. 
And uh, I'll tell you what, we, we've worked very hard waterproofing and keeping everything in place because we don't want those pillars to move. Uh, if they do, uh, we'll have to rebuild the building. How many of you have ever have lived enough for the Lord that you have found it a struggle to live the Christian life? Hello? How many of us could identify just a little teeny, teeny bit with the Apostle Paul when he says, I've suffered the loss of all things for the name of Jesus Christ? How many of you have actually lost something because you wanted to serve Jesus? And I'm not talking about your favorite television show. That is not a loss. That's just plain doing right. Amen? Uh, Have suffered the loss of something because of Jesus. You know what? Jesus tells this church when you get to heaven... You're not going to have to exert that little strength that you have anymore. Because I'm going to put you in place. And I'm going to write my name on you, it says. And the name of my, God's name, actually the name of the city of New Jerusalem. And it says my new name. People make a lot over that. Jesus is not changing his name Honestly, I believe the simplest understanding of that is when two people get together, especially if it's an Italian family, what do you do? You know you're a part of the family when you got a new nickname, right? Isn't that the way it works? Jesus said, I'm going to bring you into intimate fellowship with me. You're going to know me by a pet name. You see, we have no clue what that means right now. We think we do. The moment we step into eternity, I will tell you there will only be one regret that I did not do more to serve Jesus His way. Now, if you're unsaved, your regret is going to be, I wish I'd gotten saved. But you won't be able to undo it, nor will the Christian be able to undo their lack of service for Jesus Christ. We have to understand that service is not based upon our strength. It's based on His. He has asked us to keep His Word and not deny His name. We will not have to make our own way. We will walk through that door into eternity and be forever with our Lord. Tell you what, there have been some major doors that I've walked through in my life. It was the summer of 1989. I was ordained to the gospel ministry. But September 1988, I walked through the door of holy matrimony with my wife. You know, somebody said, everything changed? No, it just felt like we were 
walking on the same path. We've seen the Lord start this church and establish it. And it's just like walking down the road. And I believe when it comes time to step off of this life into eternity, it's just going to be another step through the open door that the Lord has put before us. If we're walking with Him. You see, Jesus said, I have set before thee an open door. And no man can shut it. But you still have to walk through it. You cannot be saved until you put your faith and trust in Jesus. That's your decision. You cannot be baptized in this church until after you've given testimony of your salvation in Jesus Christ. Then, we, we don't go up and down the aisle saying, you're not baptized, I don't know about you. Hey, listen, you have to be willing to follow the Lord and walk through that door. That brings you into the fellowship of the church. Now you have responsibilities, even if you're a child, to serve and to work and to be a part of the body of Christ, which is the local church. And you know what? You don't need a vacation from serving the Lord. It is the vacation because it's the Lord's strength that we're supposed to be serving Him in. If He's given you responsibilities and duties to take care of, Guess what? Follow the Lord. Amen? And when it finally comes time to step through that door into eternity, it's not going to be a radical change. Because what I expect to be doing in heaven is the same thing I'm trying to do right here. And that's serving the Lord. And all God's people said, Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you today. And Lord, my prayer is for each one in this auditorium that we would understand what that means to follow Jesus. Lord, I am sure there must be some that have yet to follow you in salvation. They're still believing in church or good works or Maybe they just don't even know at all. But, Lord, I pray that today they'd be willing to surrender to you and to your word. And simply believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, we pray for those that need to be baptized. Those that need to join the church. That they'd be willing just to step out in the next few moments and make that public statement that I want to follow Jesus, Jesus' way. Lord, we pray for the members of our church as we serve and continue. It just seems sometimes it's easy to become weary in well-doing, to, to feel the burdens, to think that somehow that our strength is responsible. Lord, let us take heart that we have so little strength that only Jesus can hold the door open for us. And let us walk through that door each and every day in service to Him. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together. As Leland comes.